Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I am the executive director and have been for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more about us, go to cpeonline.org or traincpe.org. The other sponsoring ministry is the Bread of Life Fellowship. We meet in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise for worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. Please feel free to come and worship with us. Today, we take up a consideration from 2 Kings chapter 4 of the victorious faith of a woman in Israel who believed that God was a God who kept his promises, and this helped guide her to respond in a faithful way, even in the face of death. We're learning of the Shunammite woman. She's a woman who's ministered to the prophet Elijah. His work to the nation of Israel, bringing God's message to the people of Israel, brings him on a path that frequently goes by her front door. And she's had to use persuasion to persuade Elisha to step in and come and let her feed him. I I think we will understand from the passage that she was a woman of some means. And it may be that Elisha was a little reluctant to identify with people of means and power. But for whatever reason, she kept pressing upon him until eventually he stops after some persuasion and begins to eat the food that she sets out for him. As this takes place and as she observes him, she begins to understand that this is a holy man of God and she goes to her husband and she persuades her husband to build a room for Elisha in order that he might rest during his travels. We could probably understand that Shunem was located somewhere between Samaria, which was the capital of the northern tribes of Israel, and Mount Carmel, which was the place where it was the center point from which Elisha carried out his ministries. And so he came back and forth by this way quite frequently. Well... A place is built for him. She sets it up to suit the needs that he has. And now the prophet, as he's resting in this place, wants to bless her. He asks her what he can do to bless her, and she basically declares to him that she doesn't need anything. She's content with her station in life. If you read it, she's a really composed gal. You can really appreciate her. I live among my own people. I'm satisfied where I'm at. But he learns that she, she doesn't have a son. And so he declares to her that within a year that she will hold a baby boy in her arms. And up to this point in time, she kind of presents herself as a model of composure. But at this point, the prophet has discovered the missing piece in her life. And she cries with emotion, please don't lie to me. Well, it seemed too good to be true for her, but it was true. And within a year, she has a bundle of boy resting in her arms. When you consider the ministry of Elisha, you'll understand that his ministry is mostly portrayed to us through Scripture, through the miracles that he performed. And these miracles were visual sermons declaring to the people God's willingness and God's power to deliver them from spiritual death and to bring them into a position where they might receive spiritual life and spiritual abundance and fruitfulness. And you can be certain that the words that Elisha spoke and taught and preached to the people comported or fit with his miracles. In other words, the miracles substantiated what he was saying to the people. It backed up what he was saying. But as we read the story of Elisha, most of what is recorded are what he did, the miracles that he performed. And they were miracles illustrating and understoring this good news that God is ready and willing and powerful to give you life and deliver you from spiritual death. And here's the first observation I want to make right off the bat of this story that we have before us. And it's this, that this miraculous birth 
of this son that is given to the Shunammite woman, this barren woman who's married to an older man, an old man, it says. This miraculous birth was a mark or a demonstration or an illustration of the redemption and regeneration that God had promised to his people. It was this visual expression of the miraculous work of God bringing life, regenerative life to the people. The birth of a child is a mark of hope and a mark of our redemption. And it's been that way since the curse came upon Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of Satan as he came before them as a serpent and they fell into sin, God pronounced what that sin had caused in their life. He told them that it would unleash untold hardship and death upon them and upon all the earth. But at that same time, God let them know what it was that he would do in answer to the death and answer to the hardship that had come upon them because of their sin and the separation that their sin would bring upon them from one another and upon them from their life with God. And God told them that he was going to raise up somebody who was going to bring them back from that curse and redeem them from that curse. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And there God promised to Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. That some child born to the woman would initiate the process in which this harm that the devil had brought upon human beings and upon the world because of the temptation he'd brought them into and the fear he'd brought them into, that, that a redemption would begin to take place because a redeemer would come through the woman that would begin to crush his work and drive back what he was trying to do. And in that moment, by the way, God also pronounced a curse against the serpent and said he was going to crawl upon his belly and eat dirt the rest of his life. God was going to overcome what it was that the enemy was trying to do and the harm that he was trying to bring upon the earth. When Eve gave birth to her first son, she cries out, I've gotten me a man. Basically what she's saying is, here's the one. Well, it wasn't to be, <laughs> it wasn't so. Cain was not the savior that she was looking for, not by a long shot. But the birth of a child has ever since almost always stirred an instinct of hope with individuals believing that that child in some way is going to usher into them a brighter future. And yet, again and again, that hope is proven to be unfounded. Oftentimes, you know, you find out that Cain didn't sweep in a better future. Little Johnny Dillinger wasn't the angel his mother thought he was. Right? Neither was little Joel Van Hoogen. We aren't redeemers. We need a redeemer. And yet God hasn't let and didn't let this hope that rises at the birth of a child die out. In fact, if you study your Bible, you'll find that God is the one who seems to be keeping it alive. God is the one who seems to be stirring it up. God seems to be promising that something is coming through the birth of a child. And you see it over and over again. And then you also see it not only given by word, but you see it acted out by event. And so... God came to Sarah and Abraham in their old age and promised to them a child through which the covenant promise of blessing to all the earth would come. And Sarah brings forth Isaac in her old age. And God comes to barren Hannah and promises that she'll have a boy. And Samuel is born to her. And Samuel becomes a great leader and judge in the nation of Israel. And God comes to a man named Manoah and his barren wife and says that a son will rise up from them that will begin to deliver the nation of Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. And Samson is born to them. And all these things are expressions of a God uses the birth of a child to indicate and give this promise of deliverance and salvation that he wants to bring to individuals. 
And when God was preparing for the moment when he was going to send his son to be a savior of all mankind, he came and promised to an old childless man and woman, Zacharias and Elizabeth, that they would have a son in their old age and that this son would announce the coming of the Lord. He would announce the dawning of God's salvation as it began to shine upon the nation of Israel. The child was born and he was given the name John. We call him John the Baptist. And he came to introduce Israel to Jesus, their Savior. And when Zacharias held that newborn boy in his arms, he said these words over him, tying this birth to the hope of God's promised salvation. And I just wanted you to listen to the words and I want you to think of it. This is, in a sense, something God stirs up within individuals when they hold their little babies, this hope for salvation. And here it was being fulfilled. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79, we find Zacharias saying this over his newborn son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the dawning from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Of course, this connecting of God's promise to a miraculous birth of a little boy finds its most wonderful expression in the moment when a virgin named Mary conceives a child and brings forth a son and calls his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves or is salvation. All along, God is doing this so. Now, let's go back to this little boy that's born to the Shunammite. And let's see that this little boy born to the Shunammite woman is a figure or an image or an illustration of the message of salvation that Elisha has been preaching to the nation of Israel. He is a demonstration of God's miraculous power, his regenerative and redemptive grace in which he brings fruitfulness and life to those who receive him and those who are trusting in him. This child is the fruit that is born out of God's promised salvation. That's what it is. When a person comes to Christ and trusts in him as their Savior, when they repent of their sins and recognize what he's done in dying for them in their place, and they receive him by faith as their Savior, at that moment, they're born again. That's what John chapter 1 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to be made children of God, born of God, we're born again. And at that moment, we become new babies of promise, bursting with the new life of eternity that God gives us. And in that moment, pulsing through us becomes this pulsating rhythm of eternal life that overcomes death and it overcomes the barrenness of our sin. And that this barren Shunammite woman gives birth to a son is a speaking illustration of the life that God gives to those he redeems. A life that overcomes death and is a life that overcomes the death that is produced by our sins and the barrenness that comes because we're separated from the life of God in our sins. And once saved, our barren lives burst into fruitfulness because God is living within us. So again, I just want you to see here for a moment that this miraculous birth is an illustration of the redemption and the regenerative eternal life that God gives to those who receive his promise of salvation. Locked it in your minds. Now, here's the second observation. Though we are born again, though I repent of my sin and believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and God pours into me his own life and I'm wonderfully born again and I have this new life, And I know this miracle of the new birth. The shadow of sin and death can still scud over my head, over your head. And sometimes 
it seems to claim us anew. Even though we've had this wonderful experience, the shadow of death comes upon us. A.W. Pink speaks of the great fruitfulness of God's salvation that is applied to the individual. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we're reconciled to God. We have a renewed relationship with God that we never knew before. We're justified. That is that our sins are washed away and God implants upon us and covers us with all of his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he sees us as good and right and just before him. We're sanctified. That is, God sets us apart. He pours his life into us and God puts us in a place where we can grow and develop as ones who are holy and right before him. And our experience of those elements of God's saving grace, his reconciliation, his justification, his sanctification, his even preserving power in our life, the way that that comes to us is that we experience salvation as peace that we never knew before and joy that we never knew before and a, a grounding and assurance in our life, a sense of purpose and ground that we've never had before. At that very moment, what opens up to us is a fellowship with God that we never realized and a fellowship with God's people that we've never known before and a, a delight and a hunger for God's Word. And, and Revelation 2.4 describes this experience. It says it's our first love. It's like a first love that springs up within us, awakening us to all these sensitivities. This is what happens when you encounter and you experience God's salvation and you're born again. And, and I'm telling you, as that mother held that little baby in her arm, God was pouring in these impulses within her. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism. To learn about our work around the world, go to traincpe.org. It's also a ministry of our mission fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work locally, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.